Hello, Parkview. Welcome to the Parkview Groups podcast. This is Thomas Hoke, and I want to welcome you to this episode for the week of October 16th through 22nd. Our goal each week is to inform and guide group members and train group leaders at Parkview to make disciples. And this week, we are learning from Luke 5, verses 17 through 32. Remember, community groups make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. And so before we really get going, I want to let you know about a few things going on around Parkview. So coming up here on Sunday, November 12th, that might seem like a long way away, but it's under a month. We will be having one service at 10 a.m. at Central Campus for everyone. So both campuses, Central and East, uh, there won't be regular services, just one at 10 a.m. at Central Campus. And the reason that we're doing that is because it's a special Sunday where we'll be hosting Kevin Complin, who is the president of the EFCA, that stands for Evangelical Free Church of America. And that is the group of associated churches, like-minded churches, gospel-hearted churches that Parkview is a part of. Um, So we are excited to be able to host Kevin Complin, who is the leader of that group. So if you don't know much about the EFCA or if you um, maybe you've never heard that, word before. Um, I wouldn't be totally shocked. It's not something we talk about all the time, but it's something we're really proud of. And we're really proud that we get to host the president of our basically our denomination here on Sunday the 12th. So so that we have the chance for everyone to hear him and be together, uh, we're going to have both campuses together Sunday, November 12th. If you're curious, by the way, about the EFCA and, and what it is and why we love it, you should go to efca.org and find out more. So with that said, that's that's all to inform you about, let's talk about this passage. All right, so I want to guide you through this passage, Luke 5, verses 17 through 32. As always, we're going to get the big picture of the passage, navigate any speed bumps that could disrupt our discussion, and give a couple places to land an application. So let me begin by reading through this passage for us. I'll stop a couple of times to make some comments. begins this way. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I'll stop there. Now, uh, this is coming after a few episodes where Jesus is having encounters mainly with individuals that's being described. So uh, we had Jesus healing a leper previous to this. We had Jesus and Simon, uh, Simon Peter, that is, who... If you'll remember, Jesus goes out onto Simon's boat, teaches people who are sitting on the land, and then um, there's an incredible haul of fish that comes in, Peter, uh, and Peter says, you know, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, and Jesus uh, calls him to follow him. And so we have this series of uh, series of encounters between Jesus and individuals. That is going to continue. What's unique about this passage is that we have, for the first time, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, it says, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. They are there to hear. Apparently, Jesus is making waves. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, and he, they want to come hear what this guy has to say. Um, we also see there the power of the Lord was with him to heal, which tells us a little bit about what is yet to come. So verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. I'll pause there. 
so what we're seeing here, it, it's helpful to know that the typical sort of construction of a house in that time in modern Palestine, I guess, um, was made in a, it's made in a two-story fashion, but where the top story was basically the roof, uh, what we would call the roof, even though there was room to sit and entertain and that kind of thing up there. It was typically made, you know, of stones and that kind of thing. And then you'd have wooden beams across or and, and tiles would be laid on those. Uh, and so we have found many of these uh, in excavating ancient cities. And this is one of the examples where um, it was possible if you removed part of the roof material, um, which was would not necessarily be fastened down at all, it was just there by gravity, uh, you could easily do just what these men are doing. You notice Luke gives incredible detail to what they are doing. It says they find no way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof. They let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst. It's pretty detailed. Um, and we know that Jesus has healed people before. Um, earlier in Luke, they're, you know, he goes to villages and everyone brings out all the people who had illnesses or diseases, and presumably that would include some lepers, some paralyzed people. But we haven't had much of the story about how that happened because for people to get to Jesus, especially if they're really ill, they probably this probably wasn't the first time this happened is what I'm saying. But Luke wants, wants to highlight something here. So anyway, continuing on. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Um. Now, it's obviously, we notice right away, it says, when he saw their faith, plural, meaning not just the man on the mat who was paralyzed, not just his faith, but his friend's faith who had brought him to Jesus and gone to these efforts to bring him before Christ. Um, And you notice it says, when he saw their faith. When we think of seeing someone or experiencing someone's faith, validating their faith or, or knowing that they have faith, probably most of us would say the way that you know that someone has faith is by listening to them, by saying, are you a Christian? You know, tell me the gospel. What do you, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the Bible and so forth? Um, but here it's Jesus saying when he saw their faith. And that's, this is a good reminder for us. Um, Jesus saw that they were convinced that Christ could help them, could heal him. And their faith was expressed in actions. We saw that in James this summer, remember. Um, True faith is expressed through good works. Um, And so he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Um, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? I'm going to pause there, actually. So it's clear from, if you can't tell, uh, that the questions that these scribes and Pharisees sort of were were wondering were not spoken loud. It's a little confusing because in verse 21 it says they began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Um, but that's just sort of an, an idiomatic expression they weren't saying it out loud. They were saying in their hearts, which is what um, then the passage says later on. They're all sitting around listening to what Jesus just said to this man and saying to themselves, "What is he? who does he think he is? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, on the face of it, if you look at what they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's right. That's true. They've got good theology there. Their theology isn't the problem. Um, it's, it's what they think about Jesus. That's the problem. And that's really what's at the heart of this whole passage. Um, and at the heart of this confrontation, especially as Luke presents it. So Jesus perceives their thoughts. He answers them. Why do you question in your hearts? 
which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? So Jesus asked this sort of, uh, I guess you'd call it a rhetorical question. He doesn't really intend for it to be answered. He intends to make a point with this question. So which one is easier? We're not really supposed to answer the question. They're both, they're both things that only God can do. That's, that's his point. God, he's, he's saying, you're right. Only God can forgive sins. But he's also saying only God could cause the paralyzed to rise and walk. And so that, then that leads right into his next statement. But, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So what, what Jesus has essentially set up is, hey, you are right. Only someone who has authority to forgive sins should say what I just said to this paralyzed man. And yet, if, if that's true, well, the, the fact that he is healed should validate the act of forgiveness that I have just done. Basically saying, you're right to wonder if I can really say those things. In a sense, he's saying that. Um, and so he, I will do this healing in order to validate the forgiveness of sins that I'm offering. Um, and that's what he does. So, and, and he immediately arose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. That's the, the paralyzed man. He's instantly healed on the spot. And so they're left to, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and everyone there is left to wonder, okay, either, either Jesus is who he says he is or God has somehow, because they would have believed firmly, only God could cause that to happen, right? Only God could cause this guy to immediately rise up, pick up his bed, go home, all those things. So either um, either God is blessing by, by working in this powerful act of healing, God is blessing a blasphemer, or Jesus is who he says he is. He is forcing them to a point of decision. He's backing them into a corner, rightly. <laughs> and he wants to do that with us too. Anyway, an amazement sees them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And so that that's sort of the end of this small story before we move on to Levi in the next part. Um, it's right for us to reflect on who we think Jesus is. Um, Jesus is not okay with us sort of in a vague sense of lack of lack of clarity about who he is. He wants to make it ultimately totally clear. Jesus has power to heal, and Jesus has power to forgive sins. Um, so let's move on. Verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Now, probably many of you listening to this know, are familiar, that tax collectors were despised members of Jewish society. Uh, they had essentially turned their backs on their fellow countrymen who were under the boot of the Roman Empire. Uh, the way that they operated was that they would, you know, maybe, maybe you've heard of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. They essentially would conquer an area, and they did this in Jerusalem and throughout Israel, conquered it, um, and then... Uh, taxed the citizens. They gave a lot of autonomy. Um, that's why we have, you know, Jesus encounters Jewish Jewish uh, leaders when he's tried and, and eventually crucified. So they had autonomy, but they were taxed heavily. And so, and part of the taxation obviously went to fund the Roman army that was conquering and, and continuing to hold the Jewish people in, um, 
in uh, submission to the Roman government. Uh, and so, in essence, they, they're the scum. They're total scum. They, they have, in the, in the eyes of the people, they have sold their souls for money. Um, these were lucrative positions. Um, think of Zacchaeus, who, uh, you know, they were well known for stealing, taking more than they were authorized to take, and, of course, for just, for just being traitors. So, anyway, here's Levi. He's sitting at the tax booth, and um, he said to him, follow me. And he leaves everything. He rises and follows him. And it's clear that Levi, um, so then he goes and makes a great feast in his house and invites all of his tax collector friends. He's essentially saying, what I have experienced of Jesus, I want my sinner friends to experience too. He has learned that Jesus uh, it has the hope that his tax collector friends need. And so he, he throws a big party that's sort of an evangelistic outreach event <laughs> and invites all of his sinner friends and says, with the essence of, hey, there's still hope for us. You need the one that I've found. And so then it's clear that this next part is something that happens later. But verse 30 says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled as disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the reason I say that it's clear this happened at a different time is because they wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't have been at the party, at the, the great feast, because they were grumbling about why Jesus had, had the great feast in the first place. So this is Luke kind of compressing the narrative to make a point here. Um, but they say, why do, you eat and, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Um, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is one of those unique times where Jesus tells us why he has come. Our ears should perk up. Jesus has come to call sinners to repentance. Um, not to come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And it seems clear that Jesus' point here is that the Pharisees saw themselves as righteous, and therefore Jesus' words, his character, and his mission bounced right off of their stony hearts. Remember, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the, not the Pharisees, not the upstanding citizens, not those who were already had a really good life and needed a 10% improvement in their inner psychology. Jesus came to save the lost. And so whatever is at the end of that sentence, we need to make sure we are in it. And Jesus is communicating to us through Luke, through these stories and his actions all those years ago, if you want to be part of what I am doing on this earth, you need to see yourself as fundamentally sim- more similar to a paralyzed person and more similar to a tax collector than ever before. You should experience in your life an increasing sense, an increasing, don't, isn't it true when you read these stories, you, you tend to, every time you read a story, you tend to sort of put on the experience of one of the characters. And so maybe you read these and you think, oh, what, would it, what was it like to be Jesus? Or maybe you think, what was it like to be a bystander? Or maybe if you're really bold, you think, what was it like to be a Pharisee? Let's get into their minds. By the way, we've got to stop demonizing Pharisees <laughs> because they, we are in many ways like them. It's, it's all too easy to sort of paint them as these real, just terrible religious hypocrites um, and say, obviously, we're not like that. We need to put on that mask too. But most of all, and I think the one we're probably most deeply invited to in this story, we should see ourselves. I am like a paralyzed person whose only hope is to be carried to Jesus on a mat, lower to him through the ceiling, 
and hear words of forgiveness. I, that, that's my hope. Uh, I am like a tax collector who has been sitting at this booth, whiling away, my only hope being that somehow this rabbi would look at me and see something in me that compels him to ask me to be one of his disciples. And actually, until we start to have that transition in our minds, uh, we're not really going to appreciate all of who Jesus is. Until we see ourselves as lost, we will not be found in Christ. So uh, I want to give you just some food for thought there. Um, I'm not going to do a training segment today, but I do just want to pray for you all before uh, we end this episode. Father, I pray for those who are listening. Um, and just as, as uh, they go about their weeks, whatever is happening right now, whether they're in the car or dealing with, uh, dealing with difficulties at work, with their family, um, the trials and, and temptations of normal Christian life, um, marriages that are hard. I don't know all of what is going on in those who are listening, but I pray that you would give them all they need in Christ to be faithful to you today. I pray that as they prepare to hear uh, the word preached this Sunday, um, that you would speak to them personally, that they would sense that you have something to say to them, to encourage in them um, this Sunday, and that they would sense a growing excitement for that. Uh, I pray that you would give them good friends, especially in their group, um, help them to take initiative to help others grow in Christ, but most of all, Lord, show yourself to them. We deeply need you, Lord. And we pray that you would come through for us. Um, and for those who are listening, Lord, I, I just pray you would bless them today. Amen. Okay, we will see you next time.